All right. We are going to be, shocker of all shockers, in the book of Joshua. Shiny, you guys are surprised. Um, today is our 69th message in the book of Joshua. Praise the Lord. But we're going to be picking up from where we were last week. I'm going to give you a little bit of a synopsis, kind of getting us back up to speed. So we are in our last week uh, with Satan's, uh, or actually deception's influence. And what we were looking at is we were transitioning over from the way that the enemy was trying to infiltrate into God's people and actually what he did to actually do it, what he did to convince them to believe the lies. And in examining the strategies that were employed against the Israelites, we realized that he uses the very same strategies and techniques on us. And so with that personal insight, as we looked last week, what we were doing is paying attention to the fact that, well, first of all, they paid attention specifically to Joshua. They were very focused upon bringing him down. Now, though at this point in time, they were still, well, what is the word I would use, skeptical of their visitors, right? They were not trusting them yet, but in the same moment, they decided to give them their ear. They decided to listen, and that would be their problem. Eventually, it would sway them to choose to believe the lie. But again, their deception was focused on Joshua because they knew that if they could get Joshua, then they could eventually get everybody else. Again, remember the devil's always working for maximum destruction. And we talked about the fact last week about how the impact of a spiritual leader's fall in our world today. What does it do? For the lost world, well, it just reinforces the stereotypes that they already believe that it's all a bunch of lies. They look at it and they go, you know what, it's just it's to be expected. So there's this heretical mindset out there, but it's also for those that are trying to follow God, it's discouraging when you see somebody fall who's supposed to be honoring and loving the Lord. But what we recognize is the fact that, listen, the devil's very consistent. And what we did was we looked at the steps that led up to that failure, the decision that they ended up making. And what we saw was the way that these enemies, these Gibeonites, what they were doing was they stuck to their story. They stayed consistent. They were like just continually saying the same thing again and again, and again, reinforcing, hey, we're telling the truth, we're telling the truth, we're telling the truth. We're from a far country. We're definitely not from your, we're not from just a couple miles away. We're definitely not those people. And then what they did was they substantiated things. They gave other things to substantiate their claim. They had plausible answers for every question that was asked, right? They were ready to answer every question that was given them. And then on top of that, they had fabricated evidence, things that they brought to say, hey, you know what? You can trust us. Again, remember, their answers were completely fabricated. They were complete lies, but that didn't matter. All they cared about was can they convince their enemy to make that choice? And knowing the devil comes to us, listen, man, it could be 100% fabrication. He just wants you to believe. He just wants you to believe. And a lot of us are facing deception in the world as we speak. But on top of having answers for every question, like I said, they had all this evidence to back it up. They had this apparent reverence for God. Hey, listen, we share your faith. We've heard about how amazing your God is. This is, this is awesome. We're, we're in with you guys. And what we did was we compared that to the professions of faith that we see in our world today. People that say, hey, man, I'm a Christian. All, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. But yet their life looks nothing like a Christian life. Then you have other people that have a faith, and they live it, and they portray it, but it's not a real faith. It's based upon false religion. And what happened was this false faith on top of that. Here they had that, that evidence that they brought, that fabricated story of their origin. They talked about, hey, this is where we come from. And listen, these are the things we brought with us to prove it. We've got weathered clothing. We've got old gross food that we've gotten with us. And we saw how convincing the devil is and how intricately he will work to bring deception. And what happens is what we notice in the fact that the pattern is always the same as that he preys upon the weakness. Right? Their vulnerability was they did not know how to recognize a friend from a foe. 
And can I promise you that the devil is hunting right now. He is hunting in your life. He is looking for the weak point. I'm a nerd. Okay, I like uh, Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Well, in the Lord of the Rings, there's a point in time with this place called Helm's Deep. And it's this unbelievably strong fortress. And the enemy comes against him. And man, they're just sort of stuck. And they can't get past the walls. But there's a weakness. There was a drain in the bottom of the wall. There was the weak point. So guess where the focus of the attack was? On that weakness. And that was where they breached the wall. And can I promise you that in your life, in your family, there is a weak point. It might be you. It might be your children. It might be your spouse. It might be your memories. It might be an experience that you've had. But I can promise you that the devil has watched you and he knows where that weakness is. And he is focusing his attack in that spot. And if you don't do an assessment of yourself and recognize the weaknesses, he will breach the wall. And he'll bring destruction into your life. Because we let him. We've got to be aware of our weaknesses and deal with them. And what happens is what's this deception that they've created for the Israelites, guess what? It works. They're going to believe it. There'll be a critical error that they're going to make. In Joshua 9, 9.14, it says this, And the men took of their victuals. They looked at the evidence and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. They didn't seek God. And that's it. Because they made this decision devoid of God's influence, they will do the very thing that God warned them not to do. Do not make any covenant with anyone of this land. And yet here they have done that very thing. Verse 15 says this, And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Not only did Joshua make the decision, but all of his leadership, all of his men were like, this is a good choice. Boss, this is what we should do. And what did they do? They put, they put themselves in league. They made a peace treaty with God's enemies. These people are going to be right in the promised land. And because of that poor decision, what we're going to see today is the fact that there are consequences to bad decisions. Negative consequences that are long-lasting. They will show up in the Israelites. But listen, they're going to show up in our lives as well when we make the same kind of choices. We're going to be today in Joshua chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 16 through verse 20 in our message called Deception's Impact. Let's pray. Lord, um, I, uh, I know, Lord, there are people here under attack. And uh, I hate it. I hate it so much. But God, I know it's an indicator that we're moving in the right direction. Lord, that we are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And Lord, I pray that, Father, you would fortify your people. Lord, grip our hearts. Help us have ears to hear the truth of what it is you have for us. Lord, I've done the best that I can to try to discern what it is you want us to see. I am bring nothing to the table, Lord, but a willing heart. And uh, I do pray that, uh, Lord, you'd use today to speak to us. Um, Lord, help me get out of the way. Move the human element of this message. And God, I pray that you would speak your truth to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Deception's impact, Joshua 9, 16 through 20. And it came to pass at the end of three days, after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors, and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Chepharoth and Beeroth and kirjath Jerem. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. 
But all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do them. He says, We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we swear unto them. And so after a three-day honeymoon, we might say, right, where everything seems good, everything's copacetic, the story seems to check out, well, suddenly a bomb's dropped. Boom, guess what? Whoa! The truth is revealed. The ambassadors from a far country turn out to be the boys from just down the road. And what happens is, boy, we have made a league with our enemies. We have made a really bad choice. And what happens, the lie is, is revealed. And the truth is, is or the, the lie is, is exposed, and the truth is revealed. Restoring them back into the truth. And it's interesting that it takes place on the third day. There's always a relevance. God doesn't do things on accident. The third day shows about 81 times in your Bible. It's always got a pattern of restoration tied to the third day. In Genesis chapter number 1, you'll notice life comes on this barren, dead earth on the third day. It goes from death to life. In Genesis 22, Abraham. Abraham is told by God, you're going to sacrifice your son, your only begotten son. Take him up on Mount Moriah and plunge a dagger into his heart. You're going to kill him. And he takes him up there, and you know what? That's what his intention is to do until God intervenes. On the third day, they climbed the mountain, and he went from the brink of death unto life, and just happened to be redeemed by the the substitutionary blood of a lamb, by the way. Exodus 19, what happens? God's people, they're gathered together. God's going to come and He says, you know what? It's time to make a covenant with my people. And on the third day, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up. And I'm going to talk to them. And they're going to dedicate themselves. They're going to have a new lease on life, a new identity as my consecrated people. A covenant on the third day. The story of Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the whale for for three days. And here he was at the brink of death. This should have been his end, and yet it became his his rebirth. It became a picture of restoration. He got a second chance. And there are time and time and time again where that picture is shown to us. And then Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 40. He says, listen, it's all pointing to something. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the hole in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And it would be on the third day, guys. Just like Jonah and their men, and their men, Jesus is resurrected and Satan's lie will be destroyed. That this is just a man, that he's a heretic, that he's a crazy person, that he's a deceiver, that lie will be shattered because the truth will stand right before them. It's a picture of restoration where truth is revealed. And so this Gibeonite deception is broken on the third day. God reveals the truth. And it's something, it points to something that that Moses told the two and a half tribes whenever God was speaking to him. He says this in Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And this is the part right here. And be sure, your sin will find you out. Notice the wording, be sure. He said, you can make bank on it, buddy. It's going to be exposed. I will reveal the truth. And that's what he's done here. That's exactly what he's done here. But the problem is it's too late. They've already made their league with evil. The damage has been done. They've established this treaty with God's enemies. And what's happened is they're inexorably now going to be connected to this people 
that they were supposed to destroy. And this brings us to the first sad reality about deception's impact, which is the fact that it binds us to wickedness. Chapter 6, verse 16 says this, And it came to pass at the end of three days, after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they, were, and that they dwelt among them. Now, how did they hear the truth? We don't know. We really don't know. Maybe they were sitting around a campfire making s'mores, and the kings were laughing it up. And they're, <laughs> you know, we live just down the road. Oops. We don't know. But for whatever, however, whatever, whatever took place, their life falls apart, right? It just, it's destroyed. And most of us can attest that, you know what? Lies tend to fall apart over time. Who's ever been caught in a lie? Or caught someone in a lie, right? Over time, eventually, it just finds its way of creeping out and showing you. Be sure your sin will find you out. Maybe not in three days, but if God intends it to be three days, then guess what? That's what happens. And deceitfulness and lies, understand, they do not originate from God. They can't. God is truth. But we do know where they originate from. Right? We see in John 8, 44. Ye are of your father, as Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You have probably met some good liars in your life. I have met some people. Dude, I'm telling you what. They were remarkable. I mean, what a talent. What a skill. I mean, they can just tell you bold-faced lie, and they're just like, yes. And you're like, I guess they're telling the truth. I mean, it feels like they're telling the truth. And they later on, you're like, that, I was really convincing. I have no idea, right? But listen, man, the devil is the father of it, dude. He can lie better than anybody else. He is the master of it. And what happens when you and I accept a lie as truth? Guess what? When we buy into it and then we act upon it, oh boy, we have made a league with evil. That deception did not come from God. When the truth comes out and evil is exposed, what do we find? You know what? We start to see these consequences of our choice. They start to show up in our life. And this previous allegiance that we had to wickedness, well, guess what? It starts to materialize in these negative things. And understand, as Paul is addressing the, uh, the uh, who's he addressing? He's, uh, this is Galatians, the Galatians. As he's addressing the spiritual warfare, where, warfare, thank you. Well, I don't know what I just said. Warfare? That doesn't even make sense. Warfare <laughs> that they're dealing with. Listen to what he says to them. This is in Galatians 7, verse, verse chapter, Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. So it says, be not deceived. That's a great sort of good place to start off. Be not deceived. Don't believe the lie. God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, guarantee. Don't fool yourself, there are consequences. Verse 8, bless you. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. Okay, Listen, live in God's word, live in God's will, do the right thing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Faint means quit, don't quit. Do the right thing, do the right thing. Listen, it's difficult. Will it be tempting to fall prey to the, to, the, to, the, to the enemy's lie? Yes. But he's saying, look, just keep doing the right thing. Keep honoring God and you will not regret it. But if you don't, can I promise you, you will regret it. Because verse 8 tells us. Listen, what does verse 8 tell us? It tells us, listen, that if for the free that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And our friend Joshua and his friends, guess what? They most certainly regret the choice that they have made. 
Can you imagine their faces when the truth came out? They thought they had weighed out all the details, checked out all the, all the evidence, and they made their choice, and it was a lie. And so what happens, through the ongoing relationship that they'll have with their new allies, they're going to influence them. They're going to impact them with wickedness. And what happens, that wickedness is going to infiltrate its way into God's people. Their pagan beliefs, their pagan practices will start to be a part of their life, and it will eventually be the downfall of the nation because of their choice. Then, this was not God's will. This was not God's plan. But God gives man what's called free will. We get to choose, right? God will show us and tell us what we should do, and then we get to go, all right, I will believe the truth, or I will believe a lie. We go back to Genesis 3, right? Eve chose to believe a lie. Very first time the devil shows up, guess what he's doing? Lying right off the bat. It's just who he is. But we get to choose good or evil. And when you and I choose to put our faith in a lie, and we mistakenly make an allegiance with evil right in the midst of our promised land, we are binding ourselves to unrighteousness. Binding ourselves to it. Because listen, whether it be in the form of a person, or a substance, or a, 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 a way of thinking, or, or a false perspective, or a religion, we have made a league with evil in whatever way, shape, or form. And because of it, we've accepted it into our lives. Guess what? There are consequences. And the longer we're under the deception, the longer we fall prey to that deception, the longer the, the truth is hidden and we choose to trust it, the more destructive it is in our lives, the more impact it has, the more widespread destruction. Because recognize the Israelites don't become pagans the next day. It's 30 years before it shows up. It's 30 years before that happens. And the scary thing is that that whole 30 years, they know who they are. Third day. Guess what? They're your enemies. Ah, man. Let's keep an eye on them. No. Let's be like them. Over time, they influence their lives. Galatians 6, 7, man. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for what man so with that shall he also reap. Listen, they might not uh, come right away, the consequences, but they will come. They will show up. We try to fool ourselves into believing that they're not, but they're going to come. But then even after we've been set free, even after we've come to the realization, even though the truth has been revealed, and even though we've, uh, the, the, the bond of this, uh, this destructive tie in our life has been broken, you know what's really awful? As we're still tied to it. It's still tied to it. Recognize, when we deal with these issues in our lives and we're set free and we're broken free of them, guess what? They still linger in memories that sometimes creep into our hearts and minds. Something we flash back to and we think about it and we're like, oh man, I thought that was gone. Maybe an emotional, a physical, or, or a spiritual scar that will carry the rest of our lives because of that choice. Listen, there are consequences to our actions. But not only does it bind us to wickedness, but it binds us to wicked places. 
Notice this, verse 17. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Chepharoth and Beeroth and Kirjath-Jerim. It doesn't say they go there to war. No, they go to visit. Now they're going to see this new culture. See, it's important to understand what's going on here. Though these are all lumped together in the scriptures as Gibeonites, in reality, it's actually four different kings from four different cities. These four different cities, guess what? They are people groups and they have their own beliefs, their own systems, their own uh, uh, habits and uh, what's the word I would say? Uh, culture. That, all that's awesome. Yes, they have all that stuff, right? So they were sent there to kill them, but instead what they're actually doing is they're preserving their culture right in the place that's supposed to be holy, right in the heart of supposed to be consecrated unto God. And though they're fully aware of who these people are, they will allow that culture to affect them. They will start to believe what they believe. While, the midst, while they're trying to strive to search and love and consecrate themselves unto the Lord, this ongoing, consistent presence is going to impact them. They're going to start to feel that, you know what, some of that stuff is, is okay. And you know what he does? This ever-present neighbor over time allows them to be comfortable with things that should make them very uncomfortable. Sound familiar? And what we have is a world today where Christians have become really, really good at getting comfortable around things that should make our skin crawl that should hurt us. And maybe when we first got saved, we hear somebody say something, and we're like, oh, man, I can't believe you would say that. But you watch enough movies and watch enough shows and watch enough video clips and read enough garbage. After all, if you've heard it 10,000 times, it doesn't quite have the, like, ugh, it used to have. And we start to compromise on evil. It doesn't seem as evil anymore. And what it does, it infiltrates our lives. Notice it's over time this takes place. And what happens is the Christians that are supposed to be consecrated, set apart, set aside, will find themselves in some of the places they have no business being, the most godless places in the whole world. And the worst thing is, when they're in those places, they don't even recognize that it's a problem. Because the culture does it. Their friend does it. People at church do it. Why can't I? And we take these things that shouldn't be a part of who we are. These places become part of our story. It's why God warns us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Listen, don't stop watching for the enemy. He's coming for you. He's trying to trip you up. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He does not want to devour the lost world. He's got them. The warning is to us. He wants to devour our Christian lives. He wants to destroy our testimonies. Because guess what? We're supposed to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And we are if we're just standing on the word of God. If your life is reverential of God, guess what? You are a threat. People are watching you whether or not you realize it or not. We must be sober. We must be vigilant. Living a sanctified life. But even when we are, if there's been a time in our life that we made a league with evil, the sad thing is, now whether this was a result of deception or just choice, 
just rebellion. We just did it because we want to do it. We're still linked and bound to wicked places. How many of us have ever been someplace? You did something you shouldn't have done. Somebody shows you a picture. Or you go someplace and memories of that thing come flooding back to your mind. Or maybe a smell. Or maybe a song. Boy, that's one for me. Man, I was in the gutter of the gutters when I was in high school and college. And all I listened to was, I don't even know what you call it. What's the compass music? You know what it is. 80s rock, there you go, yeah. Whatever it was, it was just like, you know, ah. Man, that's all I listen to. So if I walk in a store and I hear that, guess what it does? It takes me back to that person that I used to be. And I don't want to be that person anymore. And so what happens is these things, these things that we experience, they take us back. And they bring us back into our mind, back to where that place that we didn't ever wanted to go back to. It can take us back into the moment of failure, a moment of, of disgust, a moment of, a moment of brokenness. It can draw us back. And we have this inexorable connection because guess what? We chose to bind ourselves to wickedness. And what happens in those moments, man? Darkness can come rushing in, but praise God, He can push it away. God, if we surrender to the Lord, God can bring us through the darkness and into the light. God is the ultimate exterminator, man. When the wicked thoughts come in, boy, He can just destroy them. I mean, how do you, how do you destroy darkness? Just introduce light. That's it. All darkness is is an absence of light. Darkness isn't something. Right. It's just an absence of light. But when, God, when light comes, man, I'm telling you what, that darkness vanishes. You could be in a cave that's a thousand feet deep and be standing back there with a big lighter and go click. And guess what? The darkness has just been broken. People have a place they can go to. If you're there and you're scared, where do you go? Straight to the light. That's why God tells us to be a light in the darkness of this world. Because these hopeless people that are looking for something... They need to see light in us because guess what? There is hope in Jesus Christ. Man, I'm, I'm burdened for our church. I know what God wants to do here. I see what God wants to do here, and I know the devil does too. That's why he's focusing so much attention on trying to distract and hurt people in this church. Man, I love you guys, and I don't want you to go through it. But I can tell you, man, there is a solution to Jesus Christ. If you're dealing with these consequences and these things are laying on your heart, man, just know you can be set free. God can drag you out of the darkness, man. He can do something miraculous in your life. And the third thing he points out to us is, listen, deception's impact. It brings internal unrest. Verse 18. And the children of Israel smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. Murmured. And listen, so this once unified people, just remember, chapter 8, where did we end up? At the base of the mountains, everyone's saying, we will stand with God, we're all together, we're unified, let's do this. And the enemies get their stuff together, and like, we're going to take them down. And the Gibeons are like, time to little rock out, let's go, let's go in there, let's do our trick. And now the people that were unified and standing on God's word, ready to go forward as one, are broken and they're separated. There's unrest. Now this unified people is no longer unified as these ripples of unrest roll their way through the Israelite camp. And as believers, listen, man, listen. When we consecrate ourselves unto God and we allow ourselves to fall prey to the lies of the enemy, can I promise you that ripples of unrest are going to roll through our lives? Because you, if you have the Spirit of God within you, and you have made a league with evil, I can promise you the Spirit of God inside you is going to react. Right? You're going to feel that sense of like, ugh. 
The biblical term is grieving the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit. It's mentioned in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He's warning them. He's listening. He's exhorting them to avoid wickedness and to be holy. Ephesians 4, 27-32. Neither give place to the devil. I've told you this before. This means to give license or authority. Do not open the door. Remember the, the wall at Helm's Deep? They left the door. They gave a place for the devil in the drain. Man, there's a weakness in your life. Find it. Let him that stole steal no more, and rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Listen, he's no longer about himself. He's about others. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Why did God give us our mouth? It's to praise God. Amen. It's to edify and build people up, not tear people down. Yet it's used for that in our world. And he says, But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Because when you do not do these things, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Where are you sealed to the day of redemption? He says, listen, what's the earnest of your expectation, man? What God placed inside of you. You're on this physical world, yes. If you're a born-again child of God, you are safe. You are secure because what happened? There was a down payment that was placed upon your life. When Jesus went to the cross and He placed that Spirit inside you, He said, here is my down payment upon your eternity. It's done. No one will take it away. You're sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Notice how He adds all malice. You know what malice is? Wickedness. He says, let all wickedness be taken away from you. Let it all be done. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Amen. I've set the example. Yeah. Just be godly. Yeah. Just be godly. That's what I'm asking you. Because if you choose not to, and we compromise our holiness and we allow evil, just a little bit of evil to work its way in. Can I promise you that we cannot experience God's peace? You can't. It's that one little area of compromise that will cause you this unrest. Because God says, listen, I want to walk with you. I want to commune with you. I want to walk in fellowship with you. But if you're in fellowship with the world, you're being unfaithful to me. Even if it's just in one little area. God has no fellowship with darkness. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 17, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Is there any relationship between righteousness and unrighteousness? No, they're polar opposites. And what communion hath light with darkness? None. What concord, what relationship with Christ with Belial? None. What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? None. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? None. For ye are the temple of the living God, and, hath, and God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How do we deal with that? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'm telling you exactly how to have victory right there. And because of this truth, we understand exactly. It's laid out for us in Scripture. And no matter how we may justify the wickedness that we've allowed into our life, no matter what thing we've convinced ourselves, what story we've fabricated that we believe, God will not be convinced. He has no relationship with wickedness. And what will happen is we will live in a perpetual state of unrest until we surrender it to God. Because, listen, His desire is to walk with us. God will not allow us to have rest because we can't. 
It's an impossibility. There's no way to be divided against oneself. We're supposed to be righteous. We're supposed to be walking with God. The Spirit of God's compelling me to do the right thing. And when I'm doing the wrong thing, there is no peace. Jesus described it this way in Mark 3.25, And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And I'm telling you, if you're living with internal unrest, check your heart. Check your life. Find the things that are causing the unrest. Because I can promise you, when you're walking in righteousness and holiness with God, you experience the peace of God which passeth all understanding that keeps your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's why an individual Christian or a family or a church, listen, they can only be effective if they're walking and united in righteousness. So what does the devil want to do? He wants to introduce unrighteousness. What does the devil want to do? He wants to bring division. Philippians 2, 2 says this, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You are to function as one. The Bible talks, we talk about in marriage, those two becoming one. Guess what that means? They're supposed to function as one. They're supposed to think as one. They're supposed to learn and understand, if this is the mind of Christ and it is the mind of your wife and the mind of the husband, you think the same on everything. Why are, my, why are my wife and I unified? Because guess what? This is the directing point of every decision we make in our life. It has to be. Amen. And if we surrender to God's word and God's will, guess what? Peace in our, in our marriage. Imagine that. For you see, the devil thrives in division. Be it in a home, a church, a community, or a culture. Because what does division do? It creates chaos. Right? Chaos. We live in a culture now that's more divided than it's probably ever been as far back as I can remember. I'm 55 years old, and man, I can't think of a time it's ever been like this. Division. Chaos. But what does the Bible tell us about those that are in chaos? Listen, God is not the author of chaos. We know who is. First Corinthians 14, 33, before God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all, church, in all the churches of the saints. So confusion, chaos comes from the enemy. So if that means if I'm experiencing chaos, if my life is chaotic, it means I'm not walking with God because God will bring peace into my life. So if you're going, man, everything's so chaotic, listen, go through, assess, assess that heart of yours. Look at your life. Look at the choices you're making. Look and make sure you haven't made league with evil. Because I promise you, the results are chaotic and confusion. The deceiver wants to bring destruction to our families, to our churches, to our community, and to our country. Because in the midst of those situations, he flourishes and destroys the hearts of men. And what we've learned today is if we permitted deception's influence to work its way into us, to sway us into allowing us to make a wickedness, uh, allowing the wickedness into our lives. There will be consequences, no doubt. We've seen today, through the biblical picture from history, through Joshua, we've seen the deception impact binds us to wickedness. It binds us to wicked places. It brings internal unrest. And lastly, deception's impact tests our faithfulness to God tests our faithfulness to God. Listen to verses 19 and 20. But all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even let them live. Lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. What they're saying is, oh, even though we made a big mistake, even though we got ourselves in a pickle, listen, even though it was contrary to God, we made the choice. 
We did this in the name of the Lord. We have bound ourselves to this decision. And because of their reverence for God and because of their fear of God. Did you notice what it said in verse 20? This we will do to them. We will even let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. Their accountability to God is going to force them to do what they don't want to do. They say, listen, this is, a, this is a mistake, but we're resigned to following and doing exactly what we said. We made a vow before the Lord, and we're going to take that vow seriously. And see, this is a lesson that we all need to learn from. Taking a vow seriously and understanding our accountability to God. Because we live in a culture where Christianity, man, people make vows all the time. I mean, vows of holiness, consecration, celibacy, you name it, right? They're going to make a vow before the Lord. God, I'm going to vow this to you. But what I want to use today is marriage. The picture in marriage. A vow. The biblical picture that's being given us to this deception's impact is remarkably displayed in the union of a husband and a wife. For you see, when it comes to a marriage, we have two imperfect people. Would anyone agree with that? If you're married... You didn't respond to that, but anyway. I know you're all agreeing, but you're just internally agreeing with me. But the point is this, two imperfect people. Each one has their own issues, their own hidden stuff, their yuck, their yuck, right? But they don't advertise that beforehand. They're not like, let me just, just unload on you before we get started, okay? Let me tell you all the problems I got. That doesn't usually happen, right? That's just kind of kept under wraps, kind of like the Gibeonites, right? Just look in the park. And then they come together, and boy, they, they make their vows, and there's this part of the ceremony that comes up, and it says, until death do we part. The shortcomings don't traditionally arrive in the very beginning. Probably not three days in either. Hopefully not. <laughs> but eventually those shortcomings start to appear, and these little red flags start to go off. And what happens is we start to see maybe that... Uh, this is going to be a little bit more difficult than we thought it was going to be. And you see, when the Israelites saw what they saw, boy, I tell you what, they had buyer's remorse. I'm praying that is not true of any of you guys on your, in your marriage, but they had some serious buyer's remorse. But what happens here is, listen, they said, you know what, they felt like they had been duped. They felt like, hey, you know, this, this isn't fair. I did not know what I was signing up for. I didn't realize what I, was, uh, what I was agreeing to. They made a vow. Not only to one another, though. Recognize that. They made a vow before God. They made a vow to the Lord. And when you and I get married, guess what? We're vowing to one another, but we're vowing before the Lord. And what we see in the Israelite leadership is a willingness to do what's right, even when it's hard. Even when it comes to dealing with situations that are ungodly. Right? The Israelites are willing to do and deal with this issue and this struggle in their own home. This is their promised land. And when it comes to marriage, listen, part of the ceremony comes up and says this, for rich or for poor, for better or for worse. And can I tell you, there are going to be hard days. There are going to be times that are difficult, that are challenging, that will push us. Where perhaps our spouse's deception might bind us to wickedness. It might bind us to wicked places. It might bring us unrest in our homes. But the solution is not to run away. 
The solution is not to break. Not to break the vow. Listen, if we'll honor God, God can do the impossible. It's amazing. Because you know what? When we look at these people, understand, though they fell into paganism because of the influence of these individuals, did you know that one day, that little place, Gibeon, God's going to break up the land. And he's going to pick specific cities, 48 of them. They're going to be cities of refuge for the Levites. They're to be the most holy. And guess which one of those is selected? Gibeon. is selected out of the tribe of Benjamin. And if you jump forward in time, 900... <laughs> Nine hundred and sixty years in the future, where the Israelites have gone through the ringer, man, they have been messed up for years and years and years and years and years. But there'll be a man named Nehemiah, and he's going to put a call out to rebuild the wall, to restore Jerusalem, to honor God. And guess what? One of the cities that will send men is Gideon. Will send ninety-six men. That little city's going to send men that'll go there. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to help rebuild the wall. And the next day, they're going to meet in the street and Ezra's going to read the word of God to them. They're going to consecrate their hearts to God. Yeah. You know what it tells me? There's hope for anybody. Yeah. I don't care, man. They may have a mess right now in your life. You might be like, man, I just can't suffer one more day with them. But listen, just honor God. Yeah. Set your heart on God and watch Him bring them out. Yeah. What can He do in the life of anyone who's willing? Yeah. Listen, you're consistent. Testimony can speak volumes. Someone's hopeless right now. Don't be hopeless with them. You be hope right beside them in the midst of the darkness. You be light. Because the devil will lie to you and tell you, listen, you know what? It's hopeless. Never the case with God. There's, there's God. There's always hope. He's on the throne. He's sovereign, man. God wants us to hear this. Because deception's impact. It's going to impact every one of us. Inevitably, we're going to be touched by it. And the consequences that come are going to be negative. I'm just telling you. And we have to face them. We've got to deal with them. And it comes down to this. Will we do what's right? Will we do what's easy? I know what our flesh wants us to do. We know what God wants us to do. God would call us to stand, right? We see in, the, in that video we saw, some days we run, other times you stand and you fight. God can bring us through any darkness. I don't care what the devil throws our way. If you feel hopeless, it's a lie. It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. We claim the blood of Christ. We are victorious already. Listen. The truth is, you and I just have to choose. Will we do what's, what's easy? Will we do what's right? We've got to determine in our hearts which one we'll do. And just do it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for what you've shown us in the book of Joshua. Lord, the picture that we're able to see, God, the experience we have and watching how they dealt with it and the long-term circumstances that they'll have to deal with. And God, I do pray for my brothers and sisters, those that are facing opposition, facing evil today. Dealing.
Lord, with consequences in their lives. And I do pray for them, Lord, to see and look for those weaknesses where Satan is preying upon them and give it to God, casting all your care upon me for I careth for you. God is the way out. The victory is through Christ. Lord, help us to surrender the cares that are weighing upon us even today. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today, you're, you're hearing this message recorded. And you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. 21 years ago, 21 years ago in one month, someone asked me if I died today, if I knew for sure I'd go to heaven. And I said, you know what? I hope so. I did not know. I didn't have a relationship with God. I didn't know really who God was. And they took the time to tell me that, that God loved me in spite of my sin, in spite of my brokenness, in spite of the horrible choices that I'd made. He called and told me, hey, listen, not only does God love you right where you are in the midst of your sin, but he went to the cross and died for you. He gave you a way out. He redeemed you. And he's done it. And, oh, and he's offering you a gift right now. And that night, August 11, 2001, man, I heard the truth and I responded. And all God's calling you to do today is respond. If you feel the draw of God on your heart and he's telling you to surrender, to come to him because you don't truly know him, Maybe you've been religious all your life. Maybe you've had experience, emotional experience, but you've never fully surrendered to him. He's calling your heart today. And if he's calling you, all you have to do is respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It will not be a, there's no magic prayer or any kind of ceremony to it. It's nothing more than a willing heart speaking to God. And if your heart is open and you want to receive him, he's ready to receive you. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me your heart and mind and let's talk to God dear Lord I, I know that I'm a sinner I have no doubt of how I failed and I understand and believe that you love me in spite of that I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins and to give me a home in heaven I believe that you died on the cross, that you were resurrected on the third day, and that, God, you sit on the right hand of God even now. Lord, I thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for calling me to be yours. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.